Good morning to you. So I had heard that we weren't going to have rain for the rest of October. So we're speculating. We're expecting scattered heavy fog this morning, I guess. That's what it's called. Welcome. Well, so if you are, uh, if your parents and, uh, and your kids are teenagers or older, you have probably experienced... Um, all right, get your coffee and get in here. Come on. <laughs> uh, thank you, John. So you have probably experienced uh, that moment where you had, to, you, know, you had to leave the kids home alone for the first time, and a lot of thought and prayer goes into it. And you remember that moment, you, you, you're doing lots of negotiations, and you finally get to that point, okay, we're going to leave the kids home alone, and you get to that, and uh, you're walking out the door, and you just kind of review, okay, here's the agreement, all right, you guys can stay home alone, you know, so-and-so's in charge, <laughs> Marie's in charge, but, and as you're walking out the door, you just, you throw in one more thing, like, but remember, no parties, right, or... Or, uh, you know, no food in the living room, or you can't tie your brother to the bed, to his bed, you know, just whatever it is as you're walking out the door. Well, strangely enough, there was actually a, a moment a little bit like that early in the church. The kids were still growing up, and, uh, and it was all based in Jerusalem still, and the uh, apostles were there. And then you remember Saul heads off to Damascus, and he has this dramatic conversion. And then he begins to preach the gospel as well, and he and Barnabas are teaching the, preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And so there becomes this big council, this kind of like the parents meet with the, the student there, and they're going to come to some agreement. And we find Paul writing about that. Uh, reflectively in Galatians 2, he looks back on that and he describes it this way. He says, James and Peter and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. It's really fascinating if you think about these guys, the apostles, as kind of, you know, having grown up as good Jewish boys, and they're directing a, a, a church of Jewish people in Jerusalem after having been disciples of a Jewish Messiah or king, and, and all the things they might have thought of adding in, you see. Now, they came to an agreement. They're like, hey, we're about the gospel, and you're about the gospel, and you're preaching the right thing. So, you know, the main thing's the main thing, and we've got that down. But if there was one more thing, what, they, what might they have added? You know, something from the law or, or the Passover. You know, hey, you're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but teach them about the Passover because it was rooted in that. Or, or just give them some Jewish heritage because re- help them remember where it all came from or, you know, something like that. And this is what they choose. Remember the poor. Really, really fascinating. What makes helping the poor so important that they would mention it at this point? All right, we're taking the gospel, but just if there were anything else, remember the poor. Here at Gateway, we're coming up on a season where we're going to do a lot of things to to help people, to help people. Uh, We've got the Run for the Hungry coming up on Thanksgiving, and uh, you'll hear more about that next weekend, but... uh, 
you know, that's coming up and we get up early and we do that to, to raise money and collect food for our food pantry all through the year. And then we have uh, holiday food boxes going out Thanksgiving week. And uh, so we've got, you know, we put those together. We have uh, Christmas gifts for children who wouldn't otherwise have a Christmas. That's, you know, obviously another month away. And then uh, in just a few days, we're sending a team once again to Nicaragua. I mentioned that because, you know, what we do there and, and because of Nicaragua being the uh, the poorest country in Central America, I think the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So, you know, we're, we're doing lots of stuff, and we got lots of ideas of, of how to do this, and, and many of you are already active with that. And then, of course, there are all the ways that maybe you do that individually in your own life, someone you've identified that God wants you to help. You're already active with that. So today, what I'd like to think about is why we do that. For example, with Run for the Hungry literature, if you look at the top or the, the logos and stuff, it says the 11th, Gateway's 11th Annual. But I just thought, we should be clear. We're not doing the Run for the Hungry because we've done it 10 times before. That's not the point. What makes helping people, helping the poor, so important? Where did the apostles get this idea? Well, they actually got it at the very beginning of their training. They got it from Jesus. We find in Luke chapter 4 that uh, Luke has given us a couple chapters about Jesus' birth. Then uh, uh, he talks about his baptism and about his temptation in the wilderness. And then he turns a corner and says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So this is at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and he was experiencing extraordinary popularity. He just he went out teaching, he had this message, and he was just very well received, and it was extremely exciting. And so then Luke says, uh, uh, let me give you an example of that. This is sort of his headline, and then he gets into a story in Luke 4, beginning in 4.16. He says, he went to, to Nazareth, for example where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where this is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's reading here from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and Jesus reads this and says, hey, guess what? Guess what? He goes on. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So here Jesus is, and he says, you know, here was a prophecy about a a Messiah, about a deliverer who would come with good news, and it's me. And I'm here to bring good news to the poor. Now, one of the things that made it such good news is who he targeted. It was good news because it was going to be accessible to everyone. He targets it to the poor and to the prisoners and to the blind and to the oppressed. 
so that it would be abundantly clear to everyone that his message, his good news, would be accessible to anyone, and no one had to be left out. There, there was no reason for anyone to be left out of this. Now, my, uh, my first real experience with poverty in life and my really most impactful experience with poverty came when I was 13 years old. It was so impactful that many of you have heard me talk about this before. But I was 13, and we, uh, we were, I was traveling with my parents, obviously, and uh, we arrived in the country of India and flew into New Delhi, and uh, my parents decided we'd go see the Taj Mahal, because that's what you're supposed to do when you're in India. And so we got on this train, and I remember I'm 13, and um, so we get on the train, and I'm just like a little uncomfortable. You know, I'm just feeling like, wow, this thing isn't very nice, you know, and, uh, and, and then I'm told, actually, this is the deluxe train. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, we've been riding in 747s, and this just isn't quite the same thing. So that was my first clue. And we're riding through the countryside, and it's kind of rural, kind of farmland, I suppose, but you can't quite tell. It's just this rural area, and there's people roaming around out there. And I notice that they're they're scattering, there's people right on the train tracks, and they're scattering kind of as we rumble by. And it's like, that looks dangerous. What are these people up to? And then we're informed eventually what they were up to. These were individuals who would come uh, when the train came by and try and get as close as they could to it, hoping to follow right behind the train and be the first person to find perhaps some rocks on which the engine might have dropped a drop of oil. A little bit of grease, a little bit of diesel, as they would collect those rocks, and if they could get enough of them in a can, they would have some fuel to heat their home or cook their food. Now, I grew up in a church, and I went to Sunday school, and I'd heard all these stories, but I, I think I would, had always assumed, remember that, that story, Jesus runs into the to the woman, and he won't help her. And she's like, but even dogs get crumbs from a, from a table of their master. Right? I always thought that was just sort of a metaphor, a, a parable for something that wasn't really quite like that. No, it's, that's exactly how this world is. Some people literally live off the crumbs, off the drips from an engine of a train that wasn't good enough for me. <laughs> The train wasn't good enough, and they're happy to have a drop of oil for my train. So we get to the city of Agra, and we go to the Taj Mahal, and as I remember it, it's a long time ago, but there were these big iron gates, and, and um, you can kind of see through them, but, but it's really narrow passageways one at a time you kind of go through, and, and we're about to pass into the grounds that are fenced off for the Taj Mahal, and there are all these, you've seen pictures of before, these reflecting pools that go up to it, and, and uh, just as we're passing in, there's a disturbance off to our left, and there's all this arguing, and it's kind of like, is there going to be a fight? And what we realize is that there are some some people who are not being let in because they, their status wasn't good enough. Now, to me, they looked like the other billion people that were roaming around out in the countryside. They were just people from India. But we were quickly ushered in. Oh, please, go in, go in, because why? Well, because you're from a rich country. 
And here were people, this, this great architectural feature belongs to them, not to me, but they couldn't get in. In the world, this is the way it works. Now, see, sometimes we look at, at someone who has, uh, who has less than us, and we're, and we're a little suspicious. Like, I wonder if they're really trying hard enough, you know? I wonder if maybe they just have less because they deserve less. Or we question them or we wonder about, you know, what's going on there. But isn't it true if we put, put our eyes, not over there, but on someone who has more, where we instantly recognize they have opportunities and privileges we don't have. We're like, wow, lucky. You, you, you have chances to do things in life I can't do, right? <laughs> oh, that's called hypocrisy. That's the way the world works. And so Jesus brings good news, and he says, you know what? Not in my kingdom. It doesn't work like the world works. See, he, he makes it so clear. This will not be based on your worthiness, on your status, right? Yes, it's a privilege to enter my kingdom, but it's not based on that. It doesn't work that way. It will be based on God's grace and justice and how he works them together through the cross. We see this spelled out for us really clearly in passages like, like uh, oh, there it is, proclaim good news to the poor, like uh, Romans 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This, this access to God, this rightness with God, this entry into his kingdom is given to all who believe, not all who are rich, not all who have the right status or can write a check or, or, or do something. No, it's for those who believe. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In this passage, the, the Jews he mentions there are those who have uh, status. They have great spiritual advantages. Paul talks about other, other uh, books. You know, they have, uh, they have the traditions. They have the elders. They have the scriptures. They're the people of God. They have the Exodus. They had Moses. They have the prophets speaking to them. They have the temple. They have access to God himself. They can go to the temple and be in God's presence. Gentiles were those who at this point lacked opportunity or privilege. Right? And, and that's the way it was. They didn't have those things, Paul describes, that they were cut off from all those privileges. And, and so there's this, the haves and the have-nots, and that's true until grace is made clear to us. And then we understand it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, not in his kingdom. So he targets the poor and the blind and the oppressed and the prisoner. Now, what of poverty? Let's think about that for, for a couple moments. Now, God's compassion in the Bible for the physically, financially poor is really, really clear. It, it, it's, it's enormous, and it's clear. It's just undeniable. But the poor as a theme in the Bible also begin to represent something really for all of us that is important. Notice the cry, for example, of this man in Psalm 70, verse 5. He says, as for me, I'm poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, Lord. Do not delay. Okay, so here is someone in real trouble. What, what he recognizes is he is stuck and he is absolutely helpless to, to figure out his problem. He's poor and he can't get out of it. And who is this man? Well, it's none other than the king of Israel, King David. You know, lives in palaces, can tax people. 
And so there's this theme, this connection between the physical poor and, and this reality that at some point we realize we're all poor in ways. It's not to minimize the horrors of, of physical poverty or financial poverty. The Bible doesn't try to do that. But it does say, you know, that, that is sort of a, a, an illustration of a baseline kind of human experience that we all do share if, if we think about ourselves accurately. That at some point in life, we are completely helpless and needy. Uh, spiritually, we're all needy and we are poor. See, this is why at some, uh, a later point, Jesus will say, See, it's really, really hard for a rich man to enter my kingdom. Why is that? Well, because at certain points he thinks he's not needy. He's like, well, I know what I'll fall back on, you know? (laughs) You know, I'm in trouble here, but I do have this, right? And and he says, so it's very difficult, whereas a when you, when you start with the assumption that you are poor or you are in need and you turn to God in desperation, it's just much easier to go, I think I better believe. I think I need faith here in God. And, and also he describes in, the, in the, uh, Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. What is that thing called? Sermon on the Mount. That the kingdom, Christ's kingdom, belongs to, to the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit who understand their need. So here's my point today is that I, I want to suggest why would the apostles say that? Why is it good for us to help people, to help people in need? Because it validates the message. It validates our message. So let me be really, really clear. We're going to do a lot of things in the next couple months and maybe you help a lot of people and that's an awesome thing. But Gateway is not a relief agency. We are not world vision. It's not why we're here. Okay? We are not uh, here to alleviate poverty or hunger. That's not our mission. Our mission is a message. And the message is good news. And Jesus was clear, it's good news for everyone, including the poor. Right? And God has long been making the case and, and illustrating that anyone is welcome in Christ's kingdom if they will believe, he demonstrates that through his concern for the poor. That's why Jesus said this. Helping people demonstrates God's grace. Now, we should probably take a theological detour here and look at a lot of passages, but we don't have time, so uh, you can look some of this up or, or do some reading or We could talk some other time, but theologians, when they look at grace, sometimes they talk about grace and they begin to, as theologians do, they love to put things in categories, like this stuff belongs over here and this stuff belongs over here. They'll talk about grace in a couple different ways by by what it produces. So there's a particular kind of grace that God gives, he's gracious, that they say is common grace. That's like what he just does all the time. So that's rain and sunshine. We didn't know we were going to get that. But anyway, that's, that's, you didn't know that, but that's grace out there today. And, and God does that all the time. And that's common grace. And what it does is it produces food. It produces or maintains physical life. But God is gracious in other ways. We could say there's a redemptive grace. That's a saving grace. It establishes and it maintains forever spiritual life. Right? It redeems us from sin, and it restores us to fellowship with Him. So, let's be clear. 
food from Run for the Hungry or a Thanksgiving basket doesn't save anyone. It's probably better thought of as a demonstration of common grace. Common grace. But while we can put things in different categories, and that's helpful at times, I think Jesus would say, yeah, but don't miss the point that while they're, they're in their effect, they create different results, they actually originate in the same place, in the heart of God, in the gracious heart of God. And so in so many ways, they are the same thing, different yet the same. See, helping the poor is a path that leads to God's heart for those who receive help. It's a path, if they choose to see it, towards God's heart. And what would you find there if you took a path of common grace, of, of some food or some help or, or a school, right, or, or something else that's provided to God's heart, you would also find their redemptive grace that would say, wouldn't you also like to trust me for your salvation? That's why we help the poor. It illustrates or validates the message that is our mission. That's why we do that. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, it's interesting, Pastor Bill, that you picked Nazareth because it didn't go so well there, did it? Uh, but this, this was Luke's choice. And, uh, but you know the story, so let's return back to that because it did kind of fall apart here. But we'll learn something from it. So back in Nazareth... Uh, the people said, no, yeah, they're, they're like, they're loving this. Hey, I came with good news for the poor. And they're like, hey, I'm poor. You brought good news for me. But then they said, isn't this Joseph? Hey, wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? I recognize this guy. They asked. And Jesus said to them, I knew it. Surely, Jesus said to them, you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your home down, hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Come on, we want some miracles. Feed us, you know. How about dividing our bread so we have a huge supply of it? You know, we want some miracles here. Prove something to us. And so it begins to go badly. We go on. Maybe. There it is. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Well, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up, drove him out of town, and, drove, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. It's an extreme reaction. I'm hoping you don't get that, you know, critical with sermons. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That had to be fun. Now, so they, they spoke well of him at one point, and of course that's representative of the normal kind of reaction he was receiving in Galilee. But here in Nazareth, it, it all went south on him. You know, it all went bad. Look at that, and from that, get a couple reminders for us about this idea that we help the poor to, to uh, illustrate our message. And that is, 
that'll be best be done when the manner in which we do that is not about people being worthy. See, the people uh, were listening to Jesus and they were tracking with him, but when, in particular, when he begins to uh, mention that other prophets had to uh, take their presence and their blessing and their ministry outside of Israel, they just went berserk. You mean to Gentiles? And, and, and they were done. Like, wow, we are not listening to this. No, 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 you know. Like, Gentiles, you can't, are you, are you saying that when you said, uh, I, I came with good news for the poor, it might actually a- end up as good news for the Gentiles? Because they are not worthy, right? They are di- they're clearly not God's people. They're clearly not worthy for any good news that you would have for them. And they just are like, done, we're done here. We find a really helpful passage uh, back in Matthew 5 for, for us. Jesus said, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I find this fascinating that he would kind of juxtapose a discussion of someone who wants to borrow from you with a discussion of your enemy. Interesting, right? He goes on. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What is he like? Well, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? When we're talking about common grace, it's not about worthiness. Well, actually, redemptive grace. It, It wasn't about your worthiness, was it? It was about his grace. It was about his justice. It was about the cross. Now, I know you have faced this situation before. You are uh, driving down the road and you see a guy running a little, a little um, small business. It's fairly efficient. His only overhead is cardboard, you know. And, uh, or you see someone outside your office who... Uh, says they're in need, or maybe someone you know actually quite well in your life, but you're, you're concerned about different things. And then you've, you've seen the news stories. You've seen that, you know, some of those people by the highway are making $200 a day. Or maybe you saw the, the, uh, the story about the guy who he panhandles outside, picked a good place, the um, Hollywood Bowl. So he, his audience is the, uh, the symphony crowd, you know. And he, his hope, and usually he makes 150 a night, and then he, if he gets 150, he gets to support his crystal meth addiction. And so you know these stories are out there, and you have these questions, or someone in your life, you're like, yeah, I've been helping them, but I'm, I'm not sure that my helping them is helpful, right? And these are hard questions, and see, even here with the, the things we do collectively as a group, I, let me, let me pr- just tell you that absolutely, we don't want to squander resources. We don't want to throw anything away or do something that's actually unhelpful for someone, and you shouldn't either. But neither is it right to just be skeptics. 
We just say, if all you see in the world is, is unworthiness that makes you withhold everything, <laughs> okay, that's an excuse. That's not what Jesus has in mind. That is not what God has in mind. So, yes, wisdom. Yes, being careful. But I, I think that maybe my, my point is, is that, that the closer as we try to help people, the cl- you know, we've got to be wise, but the closer we can do that in a way where there isn't a condition of someone being worthy, the better it illustrates the gospel, which is not about their worthiness. Think about it. It's tough to wrestle through, but think about it. Jesus came with good news for the poor. Now, back to Nazareth again. And, and another observation, that is that uh, helping people is going to best validate the gospel when it's about loving God, when it's about loving God. Now, in Nazareth, they, uh, Jesus actually tells them before they even quite get to it. They just kind of, wait a second, this is Joseph's son. He can see the writing on the wall. He's like, yeah, see, you're worried about the human element here, and you're not connected to God at all. Because if you were, if you had any real relationship with God, you'd want to listen to me. See, and this is true for us as well. As I said, you know, it's not just about feeding people. And First Corinthians makes that point. We, if we could give all that we possess to the poor, we could sell the building and and you know our cars, and we give it all away. But you know what? Even everything would mean nothing. Without love, we still haven't accomplished anything. Without love, that's the definition of love and what it informs us today about helping people. I'm really, and, and so, you know, this is loving God. This is an opportunity to love God when we get up on Thanksgiving morning or when we gather food together or when we send people to Nicaragua or if, or if you're going. It fascinates me when you look at the scriptures how God takes uh, what we do so absolutely personally when it comes to helping people. For example, the Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for the poor. No, I'm sorry. Shows contempt for their maker. Uh, Whoever is kind to the needy honors them. (laughs) No. Honors God. God's like, this is about me and you. This is about me and you. Uh, Proverbs 19. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. God takes this absolutely personally. Here's the, here's the deal. A part of loving someone, and, and so in this case, a part of loving God, but a part of loving someone is to embrace a concern, embrace a, a concern for the things that they love. It's really that simple. Now, I um, had a new experience last year. One of them's in the room, so I'll try and be careful here. But I had a new experience last year. I gained two son-in-laws. Never had any before, but in one year, I got two son-in-laws. Now, probably like you, I, I had always heard, you know, the general cultural advice regarding potential son-in-laws and son-in-laws and all that, you know, and it usually involves a shotgun, right, and some kind of speech where you put the fear of God, if not the actual wrath of God, into them, you know, 
and you just clarify really thing, you know, things that just draw some lines, and these are your daughters, so you go in there guns blazing, right? Now, I don't know, this may shock you because you probably think of me as an intimidating person who likes to go around and <laughs> threaten people. But, you know, I'm sorry, maybe you've done that whole speech like if, you, if, if one tear falls from the eye of my daughter, you are just like, say goodbye to your legs. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. That stuff goes right by me, or at least it did once I began to experience this. Because here's what happens. See, here are my daughters, and they're saying, "Um, I love this guy. What am I going to do? So I love my son-in-laws. Really? You want to be an intimidator for someone that your daughter loves. Now, see, here is God. Now, think about all the things that you know or you hope or you dream or at least you've been taught about God's love, right? You're going through life and it's hard, but you keep clinging on to the fact that God's love is deep and wide. In fact, Paul describes it as so immense, you couldn't actually understand it, but he's praying that you'll understand as much of it as you can. This is Ephesians 2 or 3, I can't remember. And, and, and it's so immense, you're just like, and these are the things that we teach you and we want you to hold on to every day. You need to know this. You need to be confident of the enormity of God's love for you. And that is the love he has also for the people he wants you to help. And if you love him, you'll begin to take on that challenge of loving them. Not questioning them. You can't earn God's love by taking care of the poor. Can't go out, don't come out and run so that you can earn some points with God. But neither can you love God without actually really beginning to care. For other people and the poor, specifically. Well, today, as you go out, um, it happens to be, you know, we did this because it's a good season for it, but we've got some opportunities for you to get really practical with this. Now, you could take any of these thoughts into your own personal life and people around you that God wants you to help individually, but, you know, we've got some organized ways of doing this, and so um, back at a table... Um, Jackie's there, and she'll tell you about the kind of specific food that we're looking to gather so that we can put boxes together that actually make a Thanksgiving meal so you get the ideas. We need marshmallows, right? And, and so she'll tell you what, what, what's involved with that. We have a table there that they can tell you more about what Run for the Hungry is. They can sign you up. They can register you. Um, and then there's uh, a table as well about Nicaragua. You've seen a lot of those pictures before. But a lot of you are having this kind of continuing conversation. Hey, what's happening down there? What's developing? Because we keep sending people because there's so much work to be done. Check in on that conversation or begin that conversation. And um, in fact, that's why I want to close today. We had a lot of the, the group uh, last night. But uh, Harvey is here. Harvey's going. So right back there, wave your hand there, Harvey. 
And I saw Mike over here. You're going, right? And uh, Roz is going. Okay, so Mike's daughter's going. Um, so, and then there were like three other um, people here last night that are going. And so that's the team that's going out. I want to close today by praying for them. This is our chance. They're going really soon. So would you join me? Let's, let's do that. Father, um, thank you for um, this team once again uh, that, that goes out to uh, help some, some really poor people, but even more importantly, some, some people you really love. And uh, we just pray again. We've come to you before and asked for a safe trip, but we ask for all those details. The, um, the, the permits and the supplies and the work would be in order. And just we ask for a really productive trip because we believe so much that that will help people. And uh, we want things to be accomplished to, to help them. And that this would really, you'd have your hand on it. That it would be clear that this is, uh, this is your work and that it, it is a demonstration of your love and grace to the people of Nicaragua. We ask for that. So go with them, Father. And we thank you for all the opportunities we have, whether it's our, uh, our joint efforts or in our individual life. Please, uh, Father, challenge us, give us wisdom, and, and help us know what it is you're calling us to do even this week. Thank you for these things, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.